0: Who will be the next british prime minister rishi sunak and liz truss are the final two candidates to replace boris johnson as the leader of the conservative party so what's their vision for the uk and its relationship with the rest of the world i'm nastasia tay and you're listening to the inside story podcast where we dissect analyze and help define major global stories well let's now bring in our guests in london we have mo hussein He's a political commentator and also a former special adviser to the UK Home Office. In Dundee, Scotland, Leslie Riddock, a journalist and the director of the Nordic Horizons think tank. And also in London is Jonathan Liss, Deputy Director of the think tank British Influence. A warm welcome to you all and thank you for joining us on Inside Story. Now, I want to start by taking a bit of a closer look at the two candidates because they're very similar in some ways, vastly different in others. Now, I believe both of them went to Oxford. Both of them studied philosophy, politics and economics, as many in British government seem to have done. Now, they are both perceived as Tory elite, but Sunak, I see, despite being... One of the richest men in Britain has been trying to paint the story of himself as as a British success story. The son of immigrants, someone who worked as a waiter in the local Indian restaurant when he was a teenager. Mo, I'm curious, how has that narrative played within the party?
1: I think it's played relatively well. Uh, People do like a good backstory and there's been other candidates who have made uh, a really big thing about their family background, the values that they had. Growing up and the fact that um, they perhaps weren't from the UK, but they came here and they have risen to a really high office uh, in government and uh, high-ranking roles in the Conservative Party. So I think people do like that, but as long as then that is made use of and can be translated into leadership and what you would do when you actually then become the Prime Minister. Uh, and the opportunities you would give to other people. So I think it serves a purpose, but it does need to then uh, translate into action as well.
0: Of course. There has, in the meantime, though, been some controversy, I believe, over his heiress wife's tax status, especially as they have, what, a combined fortune of £730 million. That certainly hasn't helped perceptions of him being rich and out of touch. Uh, Leslie, how much has that hurt him? Well, I I think
2: it has hurt enormously, and it depends which people you're referring to here in judgment terms, Mm. because there's the wider public who might have one view of both the candidates and indeed the whole quite vicious Tory leadership campaign, but then the people who really matter are that 200,000 Tory membership who are really quite atypical of the whole population. But still, um, on social media, for example, over the last couple of days, Um, There's been not big discussions about the debates on tax, but the observation that Rishi Sunak went to a building site somewhere wearing Prada shoes. Hmm. Why this should matter, who knows, but it's always just picking away at that point that he earns so much. Another way of putting it, as you've just done, is that he actually earns more than the Queen now, to a lot of people who value the monarchy, that just kind of feels wrong. So this will he will always be on the back foot on that one, no matter how often he gets his supporters to come in and talk endlessly about his life, his young life, uh, living on top of a, of a chemist pharmacy.
0: Sure. Well, speaking of his young life and his life now, he would be the first prime minister, British prime minister of colour, if he wins, as we've been saying. Now, I know he says his heritage is enormously important to him. He talks about, during his childhood, going to Temple one day and then Southampton football matches the next. Uh, I know he's also spoken about how Britain, he feels, has become more open and more integrated. Jonathan, do you think race and ethnicity will play any kind of a role in the vote here, the vote within the Tory party itself?
3: I think we need to acknowledge that there are some uh, people, perhaps in the Tory membership, who might be less inclined to vote for Sunak, on account of race. But I think the majority of Conservatives actually would be happy to vote for him. I think the key point to make here is that provided the candidates are singing from the same anti-immigration hymn sheet, which they all are, then it won't actually matter. The fundamental disconnect is that Richie Sunak made a great play about how his family uh, sort of came from somewhere else in his campaign video But like all the other candidates, he is promising to deport um, migrants who've come here across the channel and refugees to Rwanda, a policy which would have seemed completely extreme a few months ago and is now mainstream in the Conservative Party. So I think that, you know, until the Conservative Party thinks about what it really what really, it really wants to do about immigration and multiculturalism, it doesn't actually matter the skin colour of the people who are conveying that message.
0: Sure. I want to talk briefly here about Brexit because both candidates did have different approaches. So Sunak, he was a Brexiteer. He said he voted for... or campaigned for Leave as well because he wanted to shake things up a bit and then create space for change. Um, Truss, though, notably, voted Remain and then has since changed her mind... Mo, do you think that hurts her, and especially this idea that she could change her mind on big-ticket policies in the future?
1: Well, it goes back to the point about who the audience is. So the membership is uh, heavily uh, Brexit-supporting. So I think uh, Liz Truss has said that she regrets her decision, and I think that is aimed at just reassuring them that uh, she does see the benefits of Brexit and she will work to deliver that. But I don't think it hurts her too much uh, because we've come to a point where, uh, you know, this argument was quite prevalent in the 2019 election. I think it's less so now. There are clearly uh, progress that does need to be made and issues need to be resolved on the Northern Ireland protocol. But the real uh, issue facing the UK at the moment is the cost of living and the economy. And I think that uh, surpasses other issues. Uh, And it just feels that the Brexit argument is slightly aged. And yes, she did vote remain. Since then, she has Uh, recalibrated herself, let's say, into a Brexiteer. uh, And uh, I think she's probably now more known for that than for voting for Maine a few years ago.
0: Well, one of the big issues for British voters who aren't in the South and who are in Scotland has been this idea of Scottish independence, and they've also reacted very strongly to what happened with Brexit. Now, I understand Liz spent part of her childhood in Scotland, So, Leslie, I'm wondering then, how is she viewed there, particularly around this issue of potential Scottish independence?
2: Well, all the Tory candidates have had a very sort of solid line of saying that no matter what mandate is given to the Scottish government repeatedly to hold a second independence referendum, in light of that Brexit vote, which is the change in circumstance that that means essentially the first vote was held in, in false pretences in many respects... Um, they all hold the same line, which is just no. Um, Many commentators think that just keep saying no to a democratic process won't hold for long, but it's the position they all share. Mm. As far as her background's concerned, it's not really doing her a lot of good. It's more that the Scots just keep voting not Tory, and they have done, we have done, for the best part of 100 years, with a small exception in the 1950s. So whoever is the product of a Tory leadership um, uh, contest will not really go down very well here. Just one other wee thing about that. Uh, She talked when she was picked on by Rishi Sunak in the debates, um, and he'd asked her, do you regret more being a Remain supporter uh, or a member of the Liberal Lib Dems? Mm. She rounded on him and started to talk about her background uh, in in Scotland and saying how she'd become a Conservative because she was so appalled by the low standard of education that she'd seen around her. Mm. Well, that education for her, was spent entirely during the period Margaret Thatcher was prime minister. So it hasn't taken people very long here to look at that and think, well, what are you actually saying? A lot of what she says seems very contradictory and seems thought of in the the heat of the moment um, and doesn't really seem to hold water the next moment.
0: Well, it's interesting you mentioned that she was a member of the Liberal Democrats because she was raised in a household by parents who, as she describes it in her own words, had left leaning politics. I believe she even protested for nuclear disarmament. She was even a Republican and, and made statements to that effect when she was a teenager. Has she, Mo, do you think, actually managed to convince Tories that she's Tory through and through enough?
1: Yeah, I think she has. Um, internal polling that the party has will show that she's very, very popular with the members i've been to many conservative party conferences and the queues for her events where she's speaking are much larger than anybody else's so there is something about her that does resonate with the members and you know part of part of that is the reinvention and it's about uh being on a journey as she said that she was on but it's about what matters to people now and what solutions she can provide so i do think that uh members will be looking at her what she's saying and what she's doing in the next six weeks or so, rather than what she did when she was a teenager.
0: Sure. Well, well, speaking of timely solutions, she's also obviously Foreign Secretary at a rather sensitive and tumultuous time for Britain and and the rest of the world. Uh, Does the war in Ukraine, do you think, Jonathan, help her case? Because it gives a perception of her perhaps as a more steady hand. There has been a lot of criticism of her being a lightweight, so to speak.
3: Frankly, I don't think the Ukraine war is going to have much impact on the debate and I have to say that it's much easier to be a war leader when you're not actually fighting a war. Mm. The same can be said of Boris Johnson. All that the Conservative government needs to do was to pledge assistance uh, to Kiev to send um, arms and, and they did that and they admittedly did that better and faster than some other countries but it was not some sort of staggering feat. Um, that was achieved in London. And I think that any uh, Conservative leader and Foreign Secretary would have done the same. Any future Conservative leader uh, will do the same as well. I think Liz Tross is desperate to kind of uh, harness her sort of pro Ukraine, pro Brexit credentials, but it does feel a little bit desperate. And it also might backfire in the case of Brexit and our relations with the world, because let's not forget that as Foreign Secretary, she is actually threatened to break international law with her bill to uh, overturn the Northern Ireland Protocol, which is a centrepiece of the treaty Britain signed with the EU. Now, if uh, trusts or SUNAP for that matter, uh, if they go through with that as Prime Minister, because the bill is still going through Parliament, then that will invite a full-scale trade war with the EU in a cost-of-living crisis. That will be a catastrophe for Britain's economy, and neither of the candidates is prepared to admit that or say what they're going to do about it.
0: I see you're agreeing there, Leslie. How is this being perceived in parts of the UK outside of England, do you think, given the potential risks that it has for Britain as a whole?
2: Well, I think really people probably across the whole United Kingdom who are out with that small, tiny, tiny band of people who have some say in this uh, leadership contest are just sitting back, somewhat bemused, a little bit aghast, depending on their politics, and realizing that this huge decision about the shape of Britain to come is completely out of their hands, because there will not be another general election quickly, since it's pretty evident that very probably the Conservatives would lose it. So we see this big reshaping happening Um, Sometimes we're told that there's a great need for change. All the candidates are saying that, despite the fact that the Conservatives have been in charge for the last 12 years. So change from what? Their own policies. Or else we get the message that it's all about continuity. And uh, it's it's a very puzzling thing, because if there has been a big change since 2019, Mm. then that manifesto that elected Boris Johnson really doesn't hold anymore anymore. You know if you were really thinking about democracy you might think that needed to have a fresh mandate so really i think a lot of people are just sitting watching the machinations the mechanisms and all of this churn going on as if it is a bit of a pantomime but such an important one when we've got everything to to figure out including adjustments to take account of the massive heat that we've just experienced Mm -hmm. in Britain that shows that the climate crisis should be really top of our thinking. There's no running government until September the 5th.
0: Well, as we watch that process take place right now, I want to look a little more at their chances. Um, Mo, we know that Liz Truss, as you've been saying, is the current favourite, but Rishi Sunak won more consistent support from MPs in all the votes that we saw. So why is that?
1: Well, because I think he, as the Chancellor, has had quite a lot to do with backbench MPs. When you're going through things like uh, financial statements for the budget, you will engage with MPs. You will ask them what kind of things they are looking for uh, in their constituencies, and you will build up uh, patronage and you will build up support. And I think he's been very good at doing that. Um, And I think the MPs, again, are a different audience to the membership. And the MPs will be looking at very much more being in the chamber with him, seeing how he performs each week. Who is the person who can take the fight to the opposition? Who is the person who can uh, help win the next election? And MPs will have to go and sell him to their members as well and there'll be lots of hustings around the country and you know members will then look at what do the mp think and then also their own views and they will be swayed by who is the best potential of winning the next election because it's fine that people are making all these promises saying i'll reduce your taxes i'll do this i'll do that But if you're not in government, you can't do any of it. So it's also in the members' interest to elect somebody who can win the next election.
0: Of course. Well, this seems like a good time to take a look at just who will be actually casting ballots ahead of that September 5th announcement. Well, there are between 160,000 and 200,000 Conservative Party members. Now, research from 2018 suggests that more than half are older than 60, 97% of them are white, 71% are men... And more than half of them live in London and the south of England, traditionally the richest parts of the UK. So, Jonathan, let me pose this question to you. These mostly elderly, mostly white, mostly men seem to be more likely to prefer trust. Why?
3: Because of her politics. Um, she's seen as, ironically, more of a true believer on Brexit. Perhaps that's zena the convert. As we said, she voted to remain in 2016. Also, she's pledging radical tax cuts, uh, which... Uh, make her seem more uh, conservative than Rishi Sunak. And as we know, uh, memberships of parties often pitch to the extremes. Uh, and that's not where uh, the voters might be in the country, either conservative voters or voters more generally, but that's where elections are often won. And that's why membership votes are not always helpful for a party, because the membership might elect someone they want, but mm. who doesn't have the wide appeal in the country that that party will need. To win an election. And I don't think that either Truss or Sunak is going to be particularly electable against Labour, but Truss even less so than Sunak.
0: Well, let me ask that question then about broad based support, because that is really the key question, right? Who will be able to get the Tories back into power in the next election, which I believe is due in January 2025 if an early election isn't called? Now, do you think, Leslie, that either of these candidates would be able to rally the kind of support that we saw? that Johnson was able to do, especially amongst usually Labour voters, especially in the north of England?
2: Well, no, in a word. I mean, not, neither of them has whatever charisma Boris Johnson seems to be able to exercise on people. It would have to be said not in Scotland, where he's always been a vote loser. <laughs> but that sort of bumptious, uh, yeah, I don't know, boisterous, <laughs> boosterism that uh, Boris has brought with him to everything and his ability to really... Uh, called black, white, white, black, deny every difficulty that he's found himself in with the, the eloquence of someone, you know, to the manner born, all of that comes with Boris, right? Neither of the other two are quite that fluent or charming. Um, Liz Truss, I would think, must be quite an alarming prospect for MPs because she she doesn't really perform very well in debates. And we've seen that. That's partly why the debates were scrapped. But um, if if there's a business of being challenged by Keir Starmer at the dispatch box in the House of Commons week after week, Liz Truss seems to me to be someone who's likely to come unstuck quite badly. Now, whether that matters, it's hard to know completely because clearly um, a lot of Tory supporters will stick with her because of her politics and her, her channeling of Margaret Thatcher, which seems to be her main claim to fame but I think that's gonna be a big problem if she goes ahead. If Rishi Sunak goes ahead, well, there's Keir Starmer, another professional, former director of public prosecutions, Mm -hmm. a lawyer, there's two slightly standoffish characters who neither of whom have that old fashioned bounce that Boris brought to proceedings. So it's it's all there for the for for, for, for the competition sure. if those two go ahead.
0: Well, I, I want to talk very briefly about Thatcher because Rishi Sunak says he plans to put into place Thatcherite economic policies, and that is where the battleground seems to lie. But Margaret Thatcher is also, as you suggested there, an icon for Liz Truss. She even, I believe, played the role of Thatcher in her school play in primary school. So, Mo, as a member of the Conservative Party yourself, how would you differentiate their policies?
1: Well, it feels like the focus at the moment, and it's quite fashionable now to talk about tax cuts in the economy, partially because tax cuts is one thing you can do quite quickly when you have two years uh, or less towards the next general election. But I think the difference is that Rishi Sunak is trying to be a bit more realistic with people uh, by saying, if you want uh, better, more investment in the country, that has been promised, was promised by Boris Johnson in 2019 as part of the so-called levelling up agenda, uh, improving conditions in the North and the Midlands. If you want better public services, these have to be paid for by uh, something. You can't just be based on borrowing. So... Uh, And with the state of inflation in the UK, tax cuts at some point, but not right now, which is very different to what Liz Truss and, in fact, most of the other candidates who have now been knocked out were saying in terms of promising the tax cuts straight away. So I think that will be the big dividing line. The other dividing lines we will see uh, in the next few weeks, but we have to remember that these two people were probably two of the most senior people Mm. in the Boris Johnson government, and they, as much as they are now trying to draw a bit of distance between themselves and him. They were part of uh, what we saw happen in terms of perhaps not standing up to him or not challenging him early enough. So looking for the dividing lines will be interesting because at the moment, Mm -hmm. it's not really clear where they're going to come from.
0: Well, I do want to finish up with a very quick straw poll here of predictions and we'll obviously be holding you tightly to your pick here. Um, So Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak, who's going to be the new PM. Jonathan, you go first. Truss or Sunak?
3: At the moment, Truss is a favourite, but I think that once the two of them start speaking in the debates, mm-hmm. um, Tory members will will start fearing Truss and might just go for Sunak. But I don't think that Sunak will be particularly electable mm-hmm. in the whole because, uh, because, because I just think that he has a big personal uh, pre- presentation problem and big personal baggage as well okay. with voters.
0: Leslie? Trustful Sunak. Very Well, reasonable. I've already got a
2: five I've got a 5 pound bet on Rishi Sunak, okay. which um which I'm so sort of, I'm just going to hang in there with mm-hmm. that one. And Mo?
1: I'm moving towards Rishi as well. Yes, he does have some issues, but also he is known for uh, having helped a lot of people in the pandemic and spending lots of money to do so. And I think people will remember that as well, mm-hmm. going forward in terms of how creative and how versatile he can be.
0: Well, we'll see how right you all are in the coming weeks. Thank you to all of our guests, Mo Hussein, Leslie Riddoch, and Jonathan Liss. Well, that's it for the Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Calvin Ung, Usama Aloni, Aiseba Mirza Yeva, and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Yara Atala. The program was edited by Sarin Murali, Lin Yuen, and Joe DeFrias. Do be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again on Friday.